Good morning. So this morning we're going to talk about we're going to talk about love. Can you say it like that? Love. Okay. I was wondering how that was going to translate. Love. Love is an interesting topic for me to talk about because I don't like to talk about my feelings. Um, I wouldn't say I'm an affectionate person. Britt knows this, and so I don't like to hug people. My wife, in fact, she says that I'm the worst hugger she's ever met. And Britt knows that, so when he hugs me, he, he snuggles with me, and he nuzzles with me, and rubs his cheek against my cheek. So he's teaching me how to love. But for some reason, love, intimacy, talking about my feelings is difficult. I get weird. Like, I was watching a movie a few months ago, and it was a tearjerker, and I was like starting to, my eyes were starting to water up. It's like my wife's there, and our roommate, and I didn't even want them to see it. It was like I was trying to get it together. I just don't like opening up emotionally. But some people have no problem with it. It's like, have you guys heard of PDA? Public displays of affection? I mean, people, they're like all over each other in public or they're declaring their love on Facebook to one another. (laughs) But for me, I I have no problems sharing like what I'm struggling with or sharing some of the hurdles in life I'm facing or my shortcomings. But it's very, very hard for me to look at somebody and say, I love you. I remember seven, eight years ago when my brother-in-law, Mark, married my sister. And he like did all this corny stuff that all girls like, like wrote a love song to her and made, had this moment when he engaged to her. And it's just like, I'm not like that. I don't, I just, I just, I look at people and I just, just by a look, we have an understanding. We love each other, but let's just not say that word love. But I would say all of us love to be loved. Love is amazing, right? There, there's security in being loved. It instantly builds one's confidence. It brings joy. It brings peace, does it not? It, it, it fills in one's insecurities. And as you talk about what Christianity should be known for, it's love, is it not? Jesus looked at his disciples and he said, People are going to know that you spent time with me because of your love. So people should look at us and they should experience a love that comforts, a love that brings joy, a love that brings security just by spending time with us. There should be something supernatural yet very natural about the way we're interacting with one another that draws people to us. And they will hopefully experience a love like they've never seen duplicated in this world before. Now we've been going through the letter of 1 John. And I want to do a little review, because today we're going to talk about love in chapter 2, but I want to bring us up to speed. So a couple weeks ago, I was here and I talked about the first few verses of the, uh, the epistle of John, the letter of John. And the first half of chapter 1 talks about how Jesus is our reality. And John says, 
I've touched Jesus. I've seen Jesus. I've heard Him. And he says, this same experience that I had in walking with Jesus, I invite you into that same relationship with Jesus as well. That same fellowship of walking and talking, discussing things, conversing with Jesus, that same reality I'm inviting all of you into. So Jesus is our reality. Jesus is our life. Then a couple weeks ago, Britt talked about how Jesus is our fellowship. Like, we can experience a relationship with Jesus, even though He's unseen. It's like I was talking to my neighbor the other day, and I was trying to explain to him how Jesus can be experienced in this type of fellowship. And he was having a hard time understanding what I was talking about because he's never experienced it. And I I was telling him, spending time with Jesus can be more real than sitting across the table with somebody. But I was having such a hard time explaining it with words because it's something that only somebody can experience. And that, that's the type of fellowship that God invites us into. And it talks about in chapter 1 that we can't claim to have that fellowship with Him if we're walking in darkness, right? So if we're just living a sin-filled life, we can't claim to have fellowship, this intimacy with Jesus. But at the same time, we can't claim to be sinless like and get all self-righteous like we have it all together and claim that fellowship with Him. The way we maintain that fellowship, Britt talked about it, is if we confess our sins, if we look to Jesus as our advocate. So we constantly go to Him and say, here's my sin, deal with it. Here's my sin, let me experience the blood of your forgiveness. And so today we're going to look starting at verse 7. And so go to 1 John chapter 2, verse 7. And I'll read it in English, and I'll have Grace read it in Spanish. It says, Beloved, I am writing to you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you have from, you've had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. So he doesn't even mention what commandment he's talking about, but he's assuming that we know what he's talking about. It talks about in the Gospel of John, it talks about in the second letter of John, that this old commandment and new commandment is loving your neighbor as yourself. And so he's saying, I'm not writing any new commandment to you. In fact, it's an old commandment that you've had from the beginning. So John's like doing some review here. He's like, I'm not going to shock you. I'm not going to amaze you. It's not going to be some new doctrine that I'm trying to insert here. This is something that you have heard from day one. This is something that I introduced to you the first day you came to know Christ. Now, this is an old commandment, right? If you go back to the Old Testament, you have Moses in Leviticus looking at the people and saying, love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus, when He was asked to summarize the commandments, He summarized them with two statements. He said, love God and love people. Love your neighbor as yourself. So what does it mean to... What's this old commandment as they've understood it? Loving your neighbor as yourself. I was talking to my mom about this a few years ago and the way that she retranslated it, she said, 
Loving your neighbor as yourself is loving your neighbor as if you are the neighbor. So it's like going through the mental exercise and thinking, I'm about ready to love this person, and so I'm going to put myself in the shoes of the other person. How would I want to be loved? What are the, how, how do I love myself? I protect myself. I look out for myself. I feed myself. I clothe myself. I have certain desires that I try to fulfill. I want a good family. I want good friends. I want a good life. So all of those desires, I'm going to put on this other person and I'm going to love them by helping their dreams come true. Loving my neighbor as if I am literally the neighbor. The way Paul summed up the entire Old Testament, he said, Jesus did it in two commandments and Paul, and Paul did it in one commandment. He's like the fulfillment of the entirety of the law. All the do's and don'ts. Some of the Pharisees said there were over 600 do's and don'ts. Think this way, don't say this. Do this, don't do this. He says the fulfillment of all of that is just loving your neighbor as yourself. The way he said it, he said it in Romans. Romans chapter 13, let's go there. It says, owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. So in other words, I'm always indebted to love people. I can never say, well, I've loved them so much. I've loved them for 10 years. I've loved them for decades. We are always indebted to love people. And he says, he says this is a fulfillment of the law. And here's some of the highlights of the law. The, the commandments say, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder or steal or covet. All of it is summed up in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So there's freedom in this, right? There, I mean, following God sometimes is burdensome because our perspective is off. We go out each day and we think, I have to evangelize, I have to not lust, I have to be compassionate, I have to be joyful. And you think of all the do's and don'ts and you're like, oh my word, this is too much. You know, like when you start each day, you have a things to do list. You have to go to the store, you have to take the kids, all the things that we do with our kids and our family. Well, when we read the Bible, oftentimes it's like, oh my goodness, there's so much God requires of me. But if we look at it the way Paul explains it and the way Jesus explains it, just focus on not all the do's and don'ts, but instead just loving others. If that is your aim, it will fulfill all of them. Everything else will come. Everything else will be natural if you simply love your neighbor as yourself. So all, all John is saying at this point, he's like, I'm, I'm not saying anything new to you. You've heard this before, and all of you guys are nodding your heads. Some of you are even checking out a little bit. You're like, Matt, I've heard this. Don't tell me you're just going to give another sermon on the second most common commandment ever. Love your neighbor as yourself. Well, I sort of am, but keep going. Look at verse 8. Okay, it seems like John lies a little bit here. He says, not an, I'm not giving you a new commandment, but an old commandment. And look at verse 8 here. And I'll read it in English first. It says, At the same time, 
It is a new commandment that I am writing to you, which is true in Him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. So it kind of seems like, wait, you said it's an old commandment and it's not new, but now you're saying it's new. Well, it depends on how we think of the term new. Is it new as in fresh, novel, right out of the box? Is it chronologically new? Or is it new as in he's going to present it in a new way? He's going to present the same commandment kind of from a different angle. He's like, I know you've heard this commandment with words. I know you've read about it through Moses, through Jesus, through Paul. But let me throw a new angle on this same commandment that is not old. But after I explain it to you, it will seem brand new. And he says in verse 8, At the same time, it is a new commandment that I am writing to you. And why is it new? Look what it says. It is true in Him. In other words, you have heard this commandment with words, but now you need to ponder and think about how this commandment has been exemplified, has been demonstrated. We, we can define this, but what John is trying to do here, he's like, I want you to ponder for a moment how this commandment was manifested, was incarnated in the life of Jesus. Because up until the point of Jesus, people thought loving your neighbor was kind of like scratching their back so that you would scra- they would scratch yours. A little give and take, 50-50. The way some people think about marriage. But, but the way in which Jesus loved, He just kept giving and giving and giving even when He knew people weren't going to give in return. You think about the self-humiliating love that Jesus was on His throne. He stepped down to earth not as a king, not as somebody noble, not as somebody known, but as someone unknown, a servant, a slave. You think of the humility like where in John 13 that He took the task of a servant and not only a servant, a non-Jewish servant and washed His disciples' feet. Something that even His disciples weren't willing to do for Him, He did for them. Or you think about people are willing to love as long as it doesn't risk anything. And I'm going to love you, but here are kind of like my parameters of how much I'll love you. But if you, if you turn your back on me, if you're a jerk, I'm taking all that love back. But it says that Jesus, He laid down His life, not just for His friends, but He laid down His life even for His enemies. I mean, most of us, honestly, we might say we'll take a bullet for somebody, but when push comes to shove, you might even run away from a gun. You might even try to preserve your life even when you're around friends. But Jesus willingly went to the cross even for His enemies. You see, this type of loving another person, loving your neighbor, had never been seen before. And so John's saying, the reason why it's new is because all of the years of meditating and pondering, remember what Joshua said, or what David said in the Psalms, meditate on God's Word day and night. As they meditated on love your neighbor as yourself, as they thought, as they pondered, as they fell asleep thinking about that commandment, as they woke up trying to apply that commandment, 
Never, ever did they think to the extent at which Jesus expanded that commandment. And this is why he's saying, it's a new commandment that I'm writing to you. But look at what else it says in verse 8. This new commandment, it's going to be true in him. That's obvious. But it's also true in who? In you. This is heavy. So in other words, people should see the extent of Jesus' love, not just thinking back to the historical Jesus or not just reading about how Jesus humbled himself, humiliated himself, laid down his life. But John says, the reason why you got to get it, the reason why you have to understand the massive implications of this new commandment is because its demonstration is dependent upon you. If people want to get it, you have to get it. You are the example. And so he goes on in verse... Look at verse 9 through 11. And I'll read it in English first. It says, Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light and in him there is no cause for stumbling. Verse 11. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. So up until this point in John, John's kind of been giving some tests. He's thrown out tests. Last week Trent talked about a test. If you claim to live in Him, you have to walk as Jesus did. Or if you claim to love Him or know Him, you've got to keep His commandments. Or if you claim to have fellowship with Him, Britt talked about this a couple weeks ago from verse 6, if you claim to have fellowship with Him, you can't walk in darkness. Here's another test, and I would say this is maybe the ultimate test. Our test of a true relationship with Jesus is not proved by your knowledge. Don't think that I know Jesus better than you just because I can give a sermon maybe and you can't. Don't ever think that. Or don't think it's proved by knowledge or wisdom or even level of sacrifice. You look at some people and you're like, whoa, I don't know if I could ever do what that person did. That is radical. That is this, that's extreme. That is a massive step of faith. I say to all of that for the sake of this sermon, big deal. Big deal if you have all the knowledge and all the wisdom and all the radicalness to take steps of faith if you have not the ability to love like Jesus. And all this is is a test here. Don't claim to be in light. Don't claim to have this fellowship with Him and still hate your brother. But it says if we, if we abide in the light, there's no cause for stumbling and we will love. In other words, when we're in the darkness, it's going to rub off on us. And it's going to be obvious when we're just short with other people, when we're mean, when we just have no ability to be patient. It shows that most likely we've been rubbed off, the darkness that we've been living in has rubbed off on us. But when we're in the light, when we're walking with Jesus, when we're in fellowship with Him, we don't have to like drum up strength to love. We don't have to try hard to love. It becomes natural because we have been soaking in. We've saturated in the light the, the love of His presence. 
and it naturally rubs off on people. It becomes contagious. Now, if you're like me when I was studying this, it's kind of convicting. It, it kind of sucks. It's like there's some days where I'm rude, I'm mean, I just, I just don't like being around people sometimes. I just want to be by myself. I don't see love naturally, and I'm like, this sucks. So I'm probably not saved. That's what I'm thinking. Like I was hanging out with a friend of mine a few days ago, and he's having a really hard time with his relationship with the Lord right now. He's like, I just read and read and read and read and pray and pray and pray. I'm just, I'm just mean to my wife and my kids. And I, sa- I told him, I said, you need to read First John. He's like, no, 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 no. He's like, I'm not going to read that book. That book is worse than James. James is just like, in your face, blunt. He's like, he's like, First John... He just he calls you a liar. He calls you a child of the devil. He's like, I'm not reading that book. And I told him, I'm like, I'm like, bro, you are missing the heart of 1 John. 1 John is not trying to say you suck, you don't know God, you're terrible. It's trying to invite you into the reality of this love relationship. He's writing to believers and he's encouraging them to experience God like they were not yet experiencing Him. It's like... He was, invite, he was having, having these children, as it says, 11 times in this letter. He says, beloved children, little children. He's inviting them, he's putting them on his lap, and he's saying, I want you to experience Jesus like I experienced Jesus. I want you to experience His love. I know you're not. Don't question your relationship with Him. Just walk deeper into this relationship so you can experience this joy. And this love like I've experienced. So how do you do that? How do you do it? Because it's not, like I said, just drumming up more strength. Every time I've been standing in the shower thinking, I'm going to be more like Jesus today. Dang it, I'm not going to sin. I'm going to love hard, love really, really well. It doesn't work. It just doesn't work. Or it becomes really fake and fabricated and awkward. Like, Mark understands this. There was a group of EBC students that Mark lived with a few years ago in my neighborhood. And they set out to do well. And they really wanted to love each other. But it was coming across so awkward that one of the roommates told me, and Mark and I were just talking about this the other night, one of the roommates was saying, I just felt weird. I felt like they were loving me out of obligation because it was the Christian duty. He said, when I walked home, and came in the door, they're like, how are you, brother? Are you having a good day today? And he's just like, it was so fake and fabricated. I would say verse 12 through 14 explains to us how to make love natural. So let me read it to you, and then I'll have Grace read it. It says, I am writing, to, and I want you to pull out three things. Focus on the three main things that are said. Don't focus on the children or the young men or the older men, but focus on the three things that we have in Christ. It says this, I am writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for His name's sake. I am writing to you, fathers, because you have Him who is from the beginning. I am writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, children... <clears throat> 
because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know Him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong and the Word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one. So remember back in verse 1 of chapter 2, Britt taught on it a couple weeks ago. Right before it said, Jesus is our advocate. John said the statement, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. He's giving them some insight. He's giving them something to ponder so that they would not sin. He's writing verse 12 through 14 so that we would not sin and that we would instead experience the love found in His fellowship. And here are the three things. The first one that it says in verse 12, I'm writing to you little children because your sins are forgiven. Is this like a theological truth to you? Like you say, oh yes, the forgiveness of Jesus, I believe that. Or do you say to yourself, past tense, done deal, case closed, I'm forgiven. I don't necessarily need to ask for forgiveness again and again and again, even though we confess our sins and He forgives us. There is a reality in which my relationship with God is always in a state of perpetual forgiveness. I am in fellowship with Him. I don't sin and fall out of fellowship with Him and come back. and No, I am a saint. I am a child of God that's secure. Now, we still confess our sins, right? And He extends to us forgiveness, but we are living in a state of being, of being forgiven. There's security in that. When we know that God's not angry with us, but His disposition is loving us, and every day He walks up from heaven, probably not, but Keith would relate with this, with a big wheelbarrow, and He's dumping out from heaven a ton of concrete, or a ton of love on us each day. He's not waiting to see, hmm, are you worthy of my love? Are you going to impress me today with your righteousness? No. You are forgiven. You are my child. I'm going to overwhelm you with my love, the love of my presence. But so many people, including myself, we don't ponder that. And because we don't ponder that, because we don't experience His forgiveness, we have a hard time extending forgiveness. But John writes, he's like, I want you to savor the fact that you are forgiven. The second thing is this. And he said this twice. I write to you because you know the Father. He said this to the children. He said this to the fathers. I write to you because you know the Father. Think about this. This word in the Greek is a word called gnosko. It means like an intimate, relational personal knowledge. And I think I've talked about this before. It's not just simply an academic or a textbook or a classroom knowledge. Like some people know Jesus in the academic sense. Like they could pass a test about Jesus. Or some people know Jesus in the superficial sense. It's very... They can quote a few verses. Some people know Jesus in the religious sense. Everybody in my neighborhood claims the name of Jesus. When I say I follow Jesus, they're not shocked and they're like, who is that person? I've never heard of him. But knowing Jesus is in a holistic sense, intimately, personally, emotionally. It's like some people have driver's license knowledge of Jesus. Brown eyes, how tall he is, the color of his hair, color of his eyes. 
Like, that's all they know about Jesus. And you're like, do you even know Jesus? It's like, I've said this before, if I were to describe my wife, I could describe externally her features, but if you wanted to get to know my wife, I have to describe kind of the non-tangibles, like how she feels and her emotions and what makes her happy and what makes her sad, what makes her tick. Like, John is saying that the children, when they first come to know Jesus, they are immediately brought into the fellowship of the Father. So it's not something you graduate to after you take enough classes, then you get to be with Jesus. Remember when Jesus called the children to Him? And His disciples were like, get those, get those kids out of here. He's like, no, bring the children to Me because this is how my relationship with humanity should start. This is how it matures. This is what it continually looks like. So those that are babes in Christ that are just learning how to call out Daddy, Abba, Father. And even those that are mature in Christ, the, the fathers as it says. As it says, I write to you fathers because you know Him who is from the beginning. Do you understand that this journey for a babe in Christ, those of you that just came to know Jesus a few weeks ago or a few months ago, and those of you that have known Jesus for decades, you're in the same classroom. You have not graduated. You will never graduate. You will never get your degree and say, you have known God. You know everything about Him. There's only one course, and that course is knowing Him. Another thing that it says here, not only are we forgiven, not only do we know Him, but it says to the young men, it says we've overcome, we've conquered the devil. And this is not just young men, this is spiritually speaking. So there's confidence knowing that we're on the winning side. That all of these darts, all of these bombs that are being thrown at us, we are victorious champions in Christ. We have the discernment, we can refute air, we are strong. As you think, as you are dwelling with God, do you realize that it's not just a mystical experience? Like, my friend that I was talking to a couple days ago, he's like, I'm just not feeling God. And I think that's a part of it, but I asked him, I'm like, bro, have you just meditated on the reality of what you have in Christ? I know you get all of it. Your theology is sound. But have you just pondered, I'm forgiven? I'm forgiven. I can know the Father. The Father knows me. I am victorious. I'm a victorious champion in Christ. Nothing can take me down because God will always pull me back up. He will never leave me in the mud. He will always pick me up, cleanse me, wash me, and push me and keep me going. You see, there's confidence in that. But as I look at myself some days... As I look at my friends some days, we live in just the opposite reality. We live as if we're unforgiven. We live guilty. We feel at fault. We feel condemned. I sometimes feel this, that God is angry with me. Or we feel unknown. You know, I just, God and I are, people say this all the time. God, there's a distance between God and I. Baloney. Like, 
People say that. There's just, there's just, God and I, we're just not good right now. Well, fix it now and get, like, do you realize that you can be as close to God as ever before right now? But no, no I just, it will be a process. Show me biblically how it's a process being in fellowship with God. All he says is confess your sins. You are just in intimate fellowship with God again. But we live like we don't know God. We haven't experienced His power. God and I aren't doing well right now. And then worst of all, I see this, we live unvictoriously. We're constantly falling and failing. We think our sinful vices always have the crosshairs on us and are taking us down. I see people that are overwhelmed, beaten down, beaten up. This is the way I think about it. All of us are sponges. Some of you are more nasty than others, but all of us are sponges. Some of you don't even resemble a sponge anymore. You are nasty, dirty. I got this from Javon. Who knows why he still has this? But this thing... It's stinky, stingy, it's going to fall apart. Some of you, you claim to have fellowship with God and this is what you look like. You're just a flimsy, nasty, crusty sponge. And if people were to ask you, I want to experience God, you try, they try to squeeze you, they try to rub off on you, and there's nothing but flakes of dust. And then even when you try to get close to God it's just like there's nothing you can't even absorb God because you've been out of fellowship for so long from Him some of you are like this God wants us constantly being like in His presence I'm going to make a mess here but He wants us coming into His presence filling ourselves up soaking in the forgiveness that we have so that we can rinse it out on other people soaking in the knowledge of Him is this okay? okay? I'll stay away from the cords. Soaking in the knowledge of Him, experiencing the joy of His presence so that we can drench other people. Or we're, we're, we're taken in the fact that we are forgiven, that we know Him, and that the devil has no strategy against us. The devil cannot overcome us. We are these victorious champions and we're living that way with confidence, with security. This is the reality, as it says in verse 8, of loving our neighbor as ourself, that we look at Christ and we saw Him constantly pouring out the Father's love on other people. And He says, if people want to see that same reality, you have to be in the fellowship of the Father, walking in the light of His presence, taking in all the goodness and the promises that you have in Christ so that you can rub it off on other people, so that they can see demonstrated the reality of the simple, yet very old, yet extremely new commandment, loving your neighbor as yourself. So this is what I'm going to have you do. I'm going to have Ernesto come up. And I don't know if you guys spend time meditating. I try to, but I have three kids. And so I process and then they interrupt me. Or I walk around the backyard, and then the dog interrupts me. Or I get distracted, I see an airplane, or I see a helicopter, and I think about what's going on. Like, I'm going to give you some time right now 
to do this. Say to yourself, I'm forgiven. Big deal. I have the privilege of knowing God. So what? I can overcome any evil because I'm in Christ. Who cares? Ask yourself that and ask the Holy Spirit to make those a reality so that you can live in the love of God and that then you can rub off and soak in the love of God so that you can drench other people with His love. So spend a few minutes meditating and then we'll continue in worship.